If I had asked for something already and I had to go back and ask for it, it was the second or third time. It's uh, I would generally go the the puppy dog eyes route and just like look worn down and look terrible and just be like, hey, I'm really, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm exhausted. I was just trying to get this stuff done. Would you mind sending it over so I can go home a little bit earlier tonight? And uh, that pity that pity approach worked every time. It was beautiful. So if you're an auditor. You know, in, if someone's not getting your stuff, instead of getting mad about it and trying to like get angry about them and make them do it, just uh, just be pathetic and they'll help you out. <laughs> Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. And I'm Mike Whitmire, co-founder and CEO of Flowcast. Mike, thanks so much for joining us. Really excited to have you here. David, I don't know. Have you ever met Mike at any of these conferences we've been at? I don't think so. I, I think maybe when we went to Sage's Intact, I think the Flowcast team was there, but I don't know if he was there or maybe he was and you pointed at him from far away. Yeah, that, that conference that conference has gotten wild for Flowcast and for, for me as well. So I wouldn't, wouldn't be too shocked if I was just running around. So David, Mike is the CEO at Flowcast, a developer of closed management software, where I had the privilege of working for a couple of years before my, my current gig. And he started his career as an auditor at Ernst & Young, made it to senior, and then left to join Cornerstone On Demand a year before they IPO'd. So went through that whole IPO process as an in-house accountant, uh, and then spent, I think it was three years there, Mike, and then you went off to start Flowcast. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, just about three years. I want to learn more about that, talk about that. Uh, but first, you know, given everything that's going on, how how's it going? How are you doing? Uh, doing well, yeah. It's uh, for those of you listening in the future. We are currently quarantined uh, as a result of COVID nineteen. I think we're what six weeks into this quarantine now. Time's kind of like blurring together. It's uh, it's getting tough, but yeah, it's been you know really nice. Obviously, with all the tools we have available to us now, the transition to the for the company working working from home wasn't the the craziest thing in the world. Um, I think the bigger one is you know obviously you look across what's going on in the world and the, the economic impact is, is top of mind for me running the business. Um, and then also like the, the impact this is having on people just emotionally and, and mentally it's, you can tell it's kind of starting to catch up to people. And in a lot of the conversations I've been having, that's been a, a pretty top of mind um, item right now, but, you know, fortunately for us um, it, it hasn't, we haven't had to make drastic decisions like do big layoffs or anything like that. We were, we were lucky enough to have closed our, our Series C round of uh, about forty million bucks just two months before all of this started kind of falling apart. So I feel really fortunate that we're in a in a position where we don't have to do you know aggressive layoffs or anything like that, like a lot of other companies are looking at. Yeah, how how is that going transitioning to remote? Because I recall when I was working at Flowcast, you know, everybody was in the office together in LA, which was really nice in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. Like me, the, the founders and I were, were big proponents of being in the office. We, I think just first and foremost, we just enjoy it. We enjoy being around the people and, and we do see the benefits of, of being near each other. Um, but I think because, because of the, the type of company we are, we're a SaaS company. We're very open to technology. We have purchased a ton of software over the years. Um, we're almost like ready to go to work from home. So from a, from a tech perspective, there, there really was no transition. We just flipped the switch and everyone was was able to still do their job. Um, I think the bigger one was it was adjusting culturally. It's just very, it's very different. And I think the group that I was most concerned about when we were making the shift was our sales team. Um, we have, we have an inside sales organization, and you know that's a that's a tough job. And when you're doing it all day, it can become a grind. 
And you, you really fuel off of your team to keep that energy up. And I was, I was concerned that that would fall apart um, when people started working from home. And it's been my, our VP of sales, uh, Jill Cooper, she has a ton of experience managing remote sales teams. So this is very, very uh, kind of par for the course for her. And so she has a bunch of little things she does to keep people energized and engaged. And it's been working out really well so far. It's actually like the highest activity we've ever had in sales. We're still booking demos, closing business. So things are, uh, things are going well. I'm curious, you know, you talk to a lot of accounting teams, a lot of controllers, given what Flowcast does, like how are the, uh, the accounting teams handling things? It, it definitely depends on the the type of business and how how open your company had been to cloud based technology uh, before this. So we, uh, as you know, we've we've signed a lot of like high tech companies and people who um, are in the, are in the SaaS space or are in the software space, and so they they inherently have used a lot of cloud based applications, and so the transition wasn't hard too hard for them. It's more so dealing with some of the challenges that I had that I had laid out there, just like the the motivation and the kind of emotional toll that this can take on people. Um, and then some of our clients who are, are not quite that up to speed, it's, it's tough. You know, all of a sudden you're at home, you're, you're VPNing into your, uh, your ERP to be able to do some work. And you're, you're fortunate enough to have Flowcast to help you at least collaborate and, and get through the close together. But you do still have that challenge of like, man, I got to use a VPN to get into my ERP and it just slows everything down in a big way. Yeah. And then, you know, Trying to get the actual reports out of that ERP. I mean, I've used somewhere, you know, like the only way I could figure out how to do it was to literally print to paper and then scan the paper. Yeah. Right? It, because it's that old. Some of those old things, like I remember at Cornerstone, we uh, just, we used cloud. We were, we were on NetSuite and, but we still were very security conscious. And so we were required to use a VPN. And VPNs were so bad, I would rather drive into the office on the weekends and use that than work from my house. Like I would literally commute in on the weekend just so I could be that much faster at home or at the office. It sounds like we need Zoom to like solve the VPN problem, right? Like yeah, that and, should be their and, next mission. And as long as there's like really good security behind it as well, if they get that part sorted oh, out, yeah. then, then I'd be on board with it. <laughs> so maybe not, maybe not. <laughs> so Blake worked at Flowcast for... 18 months, two years or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I talked to Blake every single week. And to be honest, like, I don't even know what Flowcast does. And so it'd be <laughs> nice to like start from there. Cause I know we have accountants and bookkeepers that maybe aren't even familiar with the close process per se, but then yeah. like this thing called Flowcast that kind of, in, in my brain, I'm like, it's like this thing and it kind of adds on to, to Excel and accents Excel. And even the logo, Blake's trying to explain that to me. And I'm like, oh, it's <laughs> because there's like a, a pound sign and that's the way you kick off a macro maybe. So I'd love to like just get that stepped back. Like what the hell is Flowcast? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a very fair question. So we build uh, what we call close management software and it's a relatively new space. And it really, it developed out of the pain points that I had at Cornerstone on demand. And like Blake mentioned, I joined a year before the IPO. I was the fifth person in accounting over there. And when you're at about five people in accounting, you know, you're, you're working together, you're closing the books, you kind of all have your own assignments. So for example, I was the revenue and deferred revenue guy. So I pretty much focused on that portion of the balance sheet. And then it was all hands on deck for a lot of other processes like financial reporting or FP&A or audit prep or what have you. But the challenges we had was, was as we scaled, we added more and more people to the team. And by the time I left, we had about 50 people in accounting. And one of the challenges of accounting is that you have a team of people who are all working in silos to try to get their part of the process done, but they're all very interdependent upon each other to hit an ultimate deadline. 
So a good example is I was the revenue and deferred revenue guy, but I was very dependent on the billing and collections team getting their work done so I could do my work timely and do it you know, accurately throughout the process. Um, and so collaboration starts to become a really, really big issue because there's just not a solution built to, for example, have a centralized checklist in the cloud where when my AR team would have finished a certain process, they could have signed off on it. I could have gotten an alert that I knew it was my, my turn to start doing my work. Um, so there's a collaboration component. And basically what ended up happening was we devolved into daily status update meetings just so my controller had an understanding of, of where we were with the close on any given day, which is not a good use of time. So there's a ton of inefficiency that comes out of that. Accountants, you know, we love documentation. We love standardizing things. Uh, we love checklists. And uh, it's the problem is that's not the best place for Excel to be used. And we oftentimes turn to Excel to do checklists uh, in accounting. And so Flowcast has built a, a tool that helps you uh, manage your closed process. It helps your team collaborate around getting that process done. And then, yeah, I think one of the one of the th- tasks that occurs at slightly larger companies, you know, if you're if you're doing bookkeeping or kind of accounting for SMBs, you're not you're not necessarily tying out the entire trial balance. You're really focused on cash and making sure cash and credit cards are going to be reconciled. But when you you move up and you become a public company, you're you're now all of a sudden tying out your entire trial balance, like every single account. And that requires preparing a reconciliation to support each of those balances. And then what you're doing at the end of the month is you're tying out that reconciliation back to your ERP. And when I was at Cornerstone, we had a trial balance with hundreds of accounts on it. And then we started opening up more subsidiaries. And when you start opening up more subsidiaries, all of a sudden we were tying out, you know, thousands of accounts any given month. And one of the problems in accounting is we are all working together, but we're all working together on one single data set and other people can book adjustments to my account that end up impacting my work. And one of the problems we have is that when you tie something out, it's totally manual. Like I go into my Excel workbook and I see, okay, my deferred revenue balance is $25 million. I go into NetSuite, I open up NetSuite, deferred revenue is $25 million. Awesome. Now I've done that work and I might go home that night and feel good that I've completed my reconciliation. But what if late in the middle of the night, someone from my billing team realizes that they're not going to collect cash, they want to reverse an entry, cancel a contract, it books something in my deferred revenue account. I'm not going to know about that unless I manually go perform that reconciliation again, or my the person on my team tells me about that. So what, what Flowcast does to help with that, and this is where that hashtag comes into play, when an accountant goes to perform that tie-out process, they'll go find that number, they'll look for the $25 million in the Excel workbook, and then to the right of that number, you're going to type in either TB or GL for trial balance or for general ledger. And uh, that's how you signify that you perform that work of tying it back. So where the, where the hashtag comes into play is instead of typing in TB, you type in hashtag FQ and then the account number that you want to tie that out against. Now, uh, because we're integrated with your cloud storage provider, we're able to then dig through that Excel workbook as well. And we start searching through the workbook. We look at every single cell to see if we can find a hashtag. If we do find a hashtag, we grab it out of the workbook and we display it inside of Flowcast. And then on the other side, we integrate directly with your ERP. So it's tied out within Flowcast. And what's beautiful about it is it's tied out in Flowcast, but then it's also dynamic. And if some change occurs that there's going to be a refresh, there's going to be an update, and you're going to be automatically notified if anything's changed. And that's really big for the review process, for audit prep, 
you know, making sure that what you're handing the uh, CFO is accurate, making sure what you're handing the FP&A team is accurate. It goes, it goes a long way and ends up saving a lot of time and uh, a lot of money and a lot of headaches. So it's in a nutshell, you know, we help with the, the broad close process and that goes anywhere from uh, it's the people, it's your process, and then it's ultimately all concluding with that reconciliation process. Got it. So in general, like Excel is alive in a way, right? It's always refreshing, changes field, the rest of the fields. But as soon as you start getting multiple people on multiple spreadsheets, things break everywhere. And basically Flowcast is kind of keeping those all tied together via this hashtag field. Yeah, yeah. Simple, a simple hashtag literally uh, takes all your, your reconciliations and makes them dynamic. Got it. Uh, your co-founder, your technical co-founder, Colin yep. Zanstra, was working at MySpace before Flowcast. What the heck does a social media company have to do with closed management and, and account, software for accounting teams? Well, they have um, absolutely nothing to do with each other. And that's <laughs> why we ended up working together. So like one of my favorite things about Colin is I met him and uh, I, I, I'll give a quick overview of Colin. I hope he doesn't listen to this. He probably won't. Um, <laughs> it, it's, you know, Colin is a uh, a pretty stereo, stereotypical engineer. If you watch Silicon Valley, he's very much like the star of the Silicon Valley show. Um, and then, you know, has like a big personality and, and has a lot of strong opinions. And while he was at MySpace, he tells some hilarious stories about how he was uh, he was there during the demise of MySpace, is, is what he says. And he remembers like he was there when Facebook came on the scene and they were all ripping on Facebook. They didn't think it was a problem at all or anything. And then they just went from you know, top of the world to this kind of joke of a company in a pretty short period of time. And uh, Colin was there while they were laying people off left and right. He tells stories about being the last engineer left on his floor. He went to his boss. He begged them to lay him off so he could get a severance and go start his own company. And when I met him, I asked him a very similar question. Like, all right, dude, you're coming out of MySpace. Why do you want to build accounting software? Like, what is that all about? He's like, I just want to build something that people are going to pay me for. I don't want anything to do with consumer ever again. It can just turn, you know, it can all blow up overnight. And I want something where I build something, people appreciate it. They pay us money for it. And we sign another person and they pay us more money for it. I was like, holy crap, that is beautiful. You might be one of the few engineers in LA who think that way. Um, and then we hit it <laughs> off and he, he's brilliant. And uh, yeah, it's, it's all worked out really well. Well, so I think we just simplified the uh, Flowcast elevator pitch, Mike, which is that uh, Flowcast is the opposite of MySpace. Yeah, we're the, uh, yes, I would love to be the opposite of MySpace. <laughs> so it's been seven years since Flowcast started as like the, the very first uh, vision for it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and now seven years later, how many customers does Flowcast have? Where, where are you guys at? I know you mentioned you just raised a Series C round. Like what's the status? To go back in time a little bit, we've, we've been around for seven years, but we really didn't start selling until Q1 of 2015. So just over five, five years of selling at this point. And yeah, quick company overview. Uh, so for Zara's, I guess, headquartered in Los Angeles. We have about 150 full-time employees. Most are in LA. We have a couple spread across the, the country. Uh, today, we have 900 clients on Flowcast. And we focus on the, the mid market. So we look to, we look to really help companies that have anywhere from five or six accountants on the low end of the range up to, you know, maybe a few hundred accountants in their department. Um, that's kind of the place, the, the space that we sell into there. And, uh, yeah, venture backed, uh, have raised a lot of money over the years. We now, our, our series C was 40 million, which brings our total funding to, 93 million to date and been a, a big push to invest in product and uh, and customer service with all that money. And, and you have written a book called 
Controller's Code, The Secret Formula to a Successful Career. And I was fortunate to get an advanced copy here. I mean, I'm excited because I don't think I've ever seen a book for controllers before. Why a book for controllers? <laughs> well, you're, you're so modest, Blake. If you if you remember, this was your idea up front. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's it. You know, you you came to me, and I think it was on the the heels of us trying to you know provide some career advice for people and really thinking about well, what's something that's interesting to accountants is is advice on how to move up in their career um, and you know really be as impactful as possible. And when we were starting to discuss that, it got me like super excited and. Uh, I thought that was a great idea. I want to help uh, help people have successful careers. And so that was the the genesis behind all of it. And so, yeah, I have to thank you for the idea and uh, really, really appreciate it. One of the first things that in the book is the story you tell about walking into the Lionsgate building for the first time. <laughs> this is when you were an auditor at Ernst & Young. Yeah, this is uh, and Lionsgate was my first engagement. And I had been warned about how horrible of a client they were all during the the training. The first two weeks you get there, you know, you go through training and you hear about who all the all the worst clients are and Lionsgate got brought up repeatedly. And then, of course, I was assigned to it. And uh, yeah, I'll never forget that first day, man. It's the office is structured very strangely. And you kind of get out of the elevator and then there's this door with no windows and you open the door with no windows and all of a sudden you're met with these like rows and rows of filing cabinets that are just just full of documents and i walked down it was probably a hundred yards the the hall was very long it was all all file cabinets and then that's exactly how you get to the audit room in the back you walk by a hundred yards of of uh filing cabinets and then, you know, I sit down, I start doing my job and I realize, oh crap, these file cabinets are full of the stuff I'm auditing. This is nuts. <laughs> just every morning, man, I'm walking in, I'm walking through all these documents. I feel like I'm going to war. Uh, it was just not a very healthy, not a healthy dynamic. So yeah, I'll never forget my uh, my intro to the audit world. Well, thankfully now we, we are getting away from those giant file cabinets. Although I think a surprising number of accounting teams still rely on those giant uh, binders, right? One of the uh, other points that you that you start with in the book is, you know, talking about how first-time controllers really struggle in the job a lot of the time. Why is why is it so difficult when you take that job on uh, the first time? Like it doesn't seem like this is it's that way in every field. Yeah, the controller job if you if you think about it, it's really hard and I I don't I don't know if it's given enough credit for how difficult it is. Put yourself in the controller's shoes. You're you're expected to be really good at accounting, obviously. You know, first and foremost, you need to know gap accounting. You need to know how to book journal entries and do all that good stuff. Uh, then you also need to know how to review it. And reviewing is very different than doing. Reviewing is a is an art. You need to figure out just the right amount of detail to look into, but not too much because then you'll get bogged down and end up wasting a ton of your own time. That's where a lot of the the trust in your team factor starts to come into play. And then you need to know how to manage up. So you have a CFO that you're reporting to. There's a board presentation you might have to give. Um, So all of a sudden managing up and being able to present, those are skills that become uh, all that much more important. And then beyond that, you're now all of a sudden supposed to be a a leader and a manager of your team. Yeah, just when you think about it, all of a sudden you go from being an accountant where it's like you can focus on what you're trying to do. You just get your job done. You can you can go home and deal with review notes to all of a sudden you have a lot more responsibility that's thrown on your plate. And that's why controllers make good money is because you take on a whole lot of responsibility in that uh, in that position. Yeah, it sounds like five jobs. 
Yeah, no, it's it's really it's amazing. If you go find a job description for a controller, it's a very long job description. And it's changed a lot over the last few decades, right? It's changed a ton. That's what you know, that was one of the interesting things that uh, occurred to me as I've been speaking with more controllers and more CFOs over the last five years or so is it's it's almost as if um, the the role of the CFO when I started working in accounting in 2006, it feels like the controller is now the new CFO. And the CFO almost does what I used to view as like COO or CEO level work. Uh, and CEOs are that much more removed from the day-to-day operations at this point. So it's almost like everyone's requirements have shifted up a role in the last 15 years, um, which is challenging, but also also exciting because that's really engaging work to do if it's something that you enjoy. In the book, there's a quote from Jerry Raphael. He's the CFO at Stack Overflow. Yep. Um, great guy. And, and, and he says that the controller is, quote, uniquely positioned to influence the drumbeat of the entire organization. What does that mean to you that the controller, you know, beats that drum? When he talks about this stuff, what he really, I think what he's referring to is accounting sits very much in the middle of the organization. And we're one of the few departments that deals with every other department. There's HR, HR deals with every other department, and then kind of accounting. And that's sort of the end of the list. And so with that, you have really interesting insight into what everyone's doing. And then you're also working with all of them at the end of the month and holding them them accountable for getting their job done. Now, Jerry at Stack, when he was the controller, he was in a Stack was a lean accounting department, lean finance and accounting department. And a lot of the finance responsibilities overlapped into accounting. And so Jerry was, you know, not just the controller, but also like director of finance on top of that. And mm-hmm. what that means is when you're when you're doing the finance and budgeting process as well, which a lot of controllers are now involved in that process, that's how you really help drive the, the drumbeat of the organization. You're holding people accountable for hitting their numbers, for not spending too much money, for spending intelligently. And you're really, if you're doing that on a monthly cadence, that's where that drumbeat comes in. It's like every month you're making sure people are staying on track. And I don't think that's an impact that a lot of people appreciate. So like practically speaking, we're talking about making sure that every department has that budget versus actual report and is being held accountable, like staying on their their budget and hitting their numbers and all that. Yeah. And uh, it's, you know, it's amazing how much uh, financial, the, the financial implications like that drive behavior, obviously. Mm-hmm. And being the controller who has those financial conversations, you're able to you know, if you're clever about it, you can ask certain questions or word things a certain way that help drive the right behavior for the organization. Yeah, it's it's an interesting challenge, right? Because, it, you know, you could be seen as beating the drum or as a taskmaster or as like, you know, like holding people to account, but without them hating you is really difficult, right? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that is a really, really difficult uh, fine line that accountants need to play. And that all comes down to having very high emotional intelligence. In my experience, when I was an auditor and when I was an accountant, the best approach I had whenever I was requesting stuff from people was just a ton of empathy and really trying to make sure what I was asking of them was was reasonable and was helpful. <laughs> In fact, you know, like one of the funny stories, I don't even know if, if you and I have chatted about this, but two of our very, very, very early investors at Flowcast were, um, they were executives at Cornerstone. 
And there were people I worked with closely, but the, I worked with them in the capacity of just bothering them all the time, asking them every month to give me information mm-hmm. and like, you know, reminding them of, Hey, let's, let's button up this process. This would be a lot easier if we did it this way, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just the senior accountant trying to drive this. And when I reached out to him to start the company, I was like, man, there's no way in hell they're going to give me money. Cause all I did was bother them for three years, but I must have done it in the right way. And I think having that empathy and understanding or requesting the right things is the right way to do it because both of them, you know, immediately cut me checks, and that was a big part of, of getting the company off the ground. So, yeah, my advice on that is if, if you're going to be the drumbeat of the organization, you do need to be reasonable. You need to have high emotional intelligence. Come to the table with empathy. You know, everyone you're meeting with has a full time job on top of talking to you about this stuff. So, you just need to be understanding and, and reasonable and empathetic. Well, th- that's an interesting insight because I have always thought that the job of the auditor did not really prepare anyone very well for the job of the controller. But what you said makes me change my mind a little bit. Because as an auditor, what are you doing like 90% of the time when you interact with clients? (laughs) It's asking them to do stuff for you to get you documents to get you what you need, right? Um, Unless I'm missing something. No, you are. It's so you're not. It's so important. Um, It's a big part of the job. And I think a lot of auditors and a lot of accountants ask the wrong way. and they just have, they have incorrect expectations because they think that their request should be at the top of the list. And yeah, reality is these people have full-time jobs. And I've always found uh, just advice for the audience. My, <laughs> I don't want to give it away, but um, if I had asked for something already and I had to go back and ask for it, it was a second or third time. It's uh, I would generally go the the puppy dog eyes route and just like, look worn down and look terrible and just be like, Hey, I'm really, you know, I'm, I'm exhausted. I was just trying to get this stuff done. Would you mind sending it over so I can go home a little bit earlier tonight? And, uh, that pity, that pity approach worked every time it was beautiful. So if you're an auditor, you know, in, if someone's not getting your stuff, instead of getting mad about it and trying to like get angry about them and make them do it, just, uh, just be pathetic and they'll help you out. <laughs> I love, I love that. So like you got to get rid of the ego Oh yeah. and just be willing to do what it takes to get the client to, to empathize with you. Yeah. Cause, cause they've been in your shoes. So if, right. if you're there and you're being adversarial, then they're going to get pissed off and be like, F you, when I was an auditor, I would never have done this. I would have done it this way. But if, if you're looking tired and you're like, oh, I was here till 10 o'clock last night, they remember those days and they're going to help you out. Well, I'm thinking this is great advice, you know, not just for auditors, not just for folks in in-house and mid-market companies, but, you know, like also if you're, if you're an accountant, you have a small firm or even if you're just a bookkeeper, you're always bugging clients to get you stuff. Like that is the thing that happens every single month is I need your bank statements or I need you to sign this document. I need you to give me this so I can do your tax return. And it's the challenge in the job, or I, I think where like people succeed or fail a lot of the time isn't in, you know, filling out the forms because like that's a right or wrong kind of thing. Like you either do it correctly or you don't. Where they succeed or fail is in the the way that they ask for this information, the way they interact with their clients in getting this information. And, and right now and it's it's been mm-hmm. email, right? Like many times, right? Where you call them on the phone right. or you, there's been, God forbid, you send them a text. But now with Zoom, right? Maybe, maybe, you know, the accountant has that. Uh, beat down look. And so when you have a zoom with your client, they're like, Oh yes, I'll try to get you that stuff right away. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that's the, one of the keys of, of, of my little strategy there is it's never over email. It's I'm at their desk asking them for this stuff and just looking pathetic. That's, that's what I'm going for. Um, Interesting strategy. I mean, yeah, the, you know, if it works, the, it works. The beta, the beta male approach is very underrated. <laughs>
you have a story in the book and you're talking about how, you know, early on you're starting to get in the closed process, but the reality was you've never done it before. And you took a college class and then you did one bookkeeping project with like 20 transactions. And that was the only thing you ever learned about the closed process. Like, is that true for everybody? Was that just your situation? Um, Like how do people get prepared to go down this career path. I think it's very common. And the, the problem is when you when you go to audit, yeah, you haven't actually done the job before, yet you're reviewing other people's work. So it's a really strange dynamic. I would argue we're doing it backwards. I think you should go do accounting and actually book some journal entries and reconcile some bank accounts and um, you know, review some work papers before you actually head over to the other side and, and tell people how to do their job. That's a funny observation. I always thought that when I was at Intuit with a QuickBooks engineers. Yeah. I was like, it's probably more efficient to go give them $100,000 and tell them to go run a business for a year and then bring them back to be a product manager or an engineer. Yeah, no, that's, that is spot on. Like go figure it out. And if you, if you force people into figure out accounting, you know, oftentimes they can get, get pretty decent at it. Um, but yeah, not, not having done the job before makes auditing a really weird dynamic. And I, I certainly don't think I was the anomaly when I moved over and was like, Oh crap, this is a lot more complicated than I had given it credit for. Um, and I think that's, that's another thing is when you're an auditor, I'm, you know, 22 or 23 years old. And it's like, I just asked you for this document. Why is it so hard to send me this document? Like, what else are you doing? You have one job. And uh, the reality is when you're on the other side of the table, you're like, oh, okay, you're dealing with a lot of stuff. You have a lot of other things going on and um, accounting systems and structures and processes and ERPs and all that stuff are just not quite as, uh, as fluid as you would like to think at a lot of companies. And so there's a lot of manual tedious work that ends up uh, wasting time. So we talked about this a little bit already that controllers are stepping up to take on more of the CFO role. That's because CFOs are having to step up and take on more of what the CEOs were doing. Um, mm-hmm. That is requiring the controller to you know, be more forward looking, which is traditionally the CFO job, or at least historically. So how can controllers be more forward looking when you know the, the close is kind of the what they've always been doing. And they, um, you know, I know having done it myself uh, in a small way for small businesses, like it takes the whole like first two weeks of my month, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And and that's where, um, you know, the, the bottom line is to be able to do that, you need to be able to create time for yourself. And that's a, a lot of what we're trying to dig at is, you know, in, in the book discuss, how do you, how do you free yourself up to be able to do that kind of stuff? Because that's the challenge is, all the old expectations are still there. Like, yeah, you got to close the books. You need to get that stuff done. You need to be audit ready. You need to get financials out. But then there's there are these other expectations as well, but still the same number of hours in the day. So it's about figuring out, you know, what can I do to empower my team um, to to allow them to do more of this work and take it up, put it on their plate, so that I can I have the time to free up and focus on forward looking things. And forward-looking things isn't necessarily just numbers. You know, it's picking your head up. And if you have more time to pick your head up and look around your department or your company, you might identify some weak spots or some inefficiencies and maybe be able to help improve with some processes, um, help get stuff done faster. There, there are a lot of opportunities that controllers have to help beyond just finance and accounting. Uh, for some of those reasons we had mentioned when we were talking about Jerry, um, Jerry being the drumbeat of Stack Overflow there. So it's, yeah, you just got to like create the time for yourself and then use some of that time to educate yourself and pick up a lot of these different skills and then uh, have that time still to deploy them later. So what sort of technology are controllers using to make time? 
uh, Flowcast. No, <laughs> I won't. I won't plug it too much. But uh, they're they're all. It's it's really a cool time in the accounting technology space because there are just so many options out there for saving you time. Um, you know, a good example is if you can get a bill.com in place, something like that, or a Tipalti or some other system that automates um, um, paying bills, then all of a sudden you're just spending a lot less time reviewing anything. And you're going to get to the point where you trust the systems and you feel confident that everyone's working and you're ultimately going to spend no time on that or you push that work down a layer. And that's that's just one example. As as you guys know, you, you talk about cloud accounting all the time. There's so many options out there. Yeah, yeah. Do you mind sharing the tech stack that you use at Flowcast? What was that? Do you mind sharing the, the technology stack in the accounting department that you use at Flowcast? Oh, yeah, yeah. Internally. So we use, uh, so NetSuite's our ERP and we use, um, well, obviously we use Flowcast and then we use, which one exactly for uh, commissions calculations? Commissions is one of our uh, more tedious uh, processes. So we want to get that one automated. So now that all flows into NetSuite to, to prepare things. Uh, we use Expensify on the expense management side. Uh, They're having some interesting times right now as well. Mm-hmm. And then trying to think on the billing side... I think we use bill.com, but I'm not positive on, on that front. You know, we're, we're actually right now delving into a prime example of how I'm the CEO and I'm so disconnected. I'm not sure <laughs> of every system that we're using, but I think that's, that's the gist of it. Those are the key. Oh, and then we're actually implementing uh, adaptive insights right now on the finance side. Got it. There's actually a diagram in the book and I wish I could find it that has the whole tech stack. And I thought it was really helpful. If I can find it, then I'll, uh, I'll fill out that list for you. Andreessen Horowitz just put out a really awesome report about um, software that you should be looking at right now to help become more efficient. Um, and it was cool. Flo- Flowcast made the list, which was awesome. But they have this really cool diagram of like this wheel of, of software that would live around your ERP and a, a ton of things in there, a ton of great information. Oh, yeah. Here's the diagram. I found it. Um, so Flowcast, it's kind of amazing how many apps uh, Flowcast is using now. And uh, I think it was kind of similar when I was there. It's it's oh, man. You, it's, when, it's gotten yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and just outside of accounting, I mean, we we use like f- at least fifty or sixty different types of software. I think there's apps now that just help you keep track of all your apps. If I'm not mistaken, yeah, um, no, yeah, Okta, we're we're on it. <laughs> we, we of course we own it. Yeah. So for people on the people side, you've got Lever. Uh, that is, is that the one for the uh, um, options? I forget Lever. Uh, Lever oh, no, is for the. Yeah, the hiring, the interview process. Carta's, we use Carta on the options side. Okay, we got Bam- um, Bamboo well. HR, uh, Expensify, Next Travel, and Gusto for payroll. So we actually just uh, switched off and we are now Paycom users. Oh, is that because you exceeded their like threshold? Like it- um, yeah, we. I, I don't know if we exceeded or it was just we we consolidated some of the functionality from uh, Gusto and Bamboo into Paycom. Got it. Um, and Paycom just had some other stuff. I don't know. I was I was pretty removed from that evaluation. So on the uh, accounting or data side, it's NetSuite, Accruelify, Exactly, Excel, Salesforce, Avalara, and Outreach. Yep. Yep. And- Avalara. There's one. I forgot about them. Yeah. Sales tax for SaaS now is getting kind of complicated, isn't it? Yeah. It's, uh, uh, if, if I, yeah, I would love to not talk about sales tax ever again. That'd be great. And then on the process side, it's uh, Google Apps or G Suite, uh, Slack, Zoom, Flowcast, of course, and Google Drive. Yep. So that's it. And that's just the small, like, representative sample from accounting. Uh, if you actually, like, go and look at what all the engineers are using and what the marketing folks are using and what the salespeople are using, I mean, it's got to be like 100 things. 
Oh yeah, then we're getting into Pardot, you know, yeah, Asana, <laughs> we got a, a Jira on the other side of the house. There's so much stuff, it starts to pile up. So that leads me into a great relevant question, which is, you know, the controller is often the guy in, or the girl in charge of managing all this stuff, at least on the accounting and finance side. So like, how do you, uh, how do you do it? You know, like, it's not like we got trained for this. The good news is a lot of the solutions that we've, we, we've chosen a lot of solutions because they could be, you know, administered by our accounting department. Um, we have an IT team, but they're not super robust and don't have a ton of cycles to deal with like really, really bulky applications. So we have been cognizant about that. I think Avalara and Expensify are some good examples, just like super easy to use. Integrations are pretty easy. Um, and accountants can figure that stuff out. Like I think, I think, um, accountants abilities to figure out how systems work together and how to actually make them do that is very much underrated. Um, you know, Excel, if you think about it, Microsoft Excel is just light programming. Like it's a foundational light version of programming. And, uh, those skills, believe it or not, I think transition over pretty well to helping uh, with systems and integrations and all that good stuff. And that's what even small business bookkeepers are really doing, right? They're, they're doing yeah. less and less bookkeeping and they're just connecting pipes and apps. And, and you're right in a way, it's like, they're kind of being a programmer. Yeah. Like when we, I remember when we started the company and I was doing all this stuff, um, one of the, I got, I got sick of when, whenever we closed a new deal, I didn't want to, I didn't want to enter the invoice into zero. Um, we were using zero and then a CRM called close IO at the time. So I, I fired up, you know, Zap, Zapier, Zapier. I'm not even exactly sure how you pronounce it, but, um, I, I fired up a zap. I was able to connect zero to close IO. And every time we would close one, an opportunity in our CRM, it would pump and create an invoice and that would be automated in zero. And I felt very good. And I was just a, just a lowly accountant writing these integrations. That's a beautiful thing. Um, and, and you'll never forget how to pronounce it. I learned this from uh, Heather Slatterly. Um, it zapier makes you happier. Oh, yep. I will yep. never forget now. That's good. <laughs> um, <laughs> I need something like that for Flowcast, so no one calls it Flowquest anymore. Oh, that was the bane of my existence <laughs> on, the, on the marketing team was every, when I heard somebody say that, especially somebody who was like new to the company, right? Got to correct them very quickly. Oh, man. Uh, As you can tell, I've learned to laugh it off. Yeah. So, so Mike, when you ad- adopt these apps and technology solutions, like what drives that? Is it the IT department coming in? Like, oh, the, whoever manages the contract and like, hey, this app's raising the prices. We need to go find a different solution. Is it internal members of your team that are just trying to find to make their own job more efficient? They're coming up the ladder to you. Is it like your senior staff and senior managers that are out there actively looking for solutions to add on? Like, how how do you determine? How do you build out that app stack? So we've been we've been very you know open and encouraging of adopting software. That's that's how we've ended up in the the position of having so many applications. And and I don't I don't say that as a bad thing necessarily. I mean I, I think it's it's kind of comical how many we have, but they're very important for running an efficient company. Um, so the, it comes from all different angles. It's uh, you know we might have. A, like a business development rep at say that something might be a good option. We might have something come from my, my VP of sales. So we listen to anyone who has, has an idea on this and, you know, people are just up on this stuff and they hear about it. Um, and then they'll bring it to the table and we'll assess it. And then you just look, you know, is it going to, yeah, is it going to deliver more value than it costs? And, uh, if so, and we're going to use it, then yeah, I usually give it a thumbs up. Um, and we definitely do, we review things on renewal and you got to be pretty cutthroat about, Hey, am I getting value from this or not? And you need to move on from applications that you're not getting value from. So stepping back and going back to the big picture, what is it, what is the job of accountants going to look like 
uh, you know, let's say, let's say we get out of this COVID-19 coronavirus situation that we're in here, right? Um, things kind of get back to normal eventually. We don't know how long it's going to take, but you know, they will get back to normal, uh, whether that takes six months or a year or more beyond that, right? Like what is the job of accounting going to look like in 20 years, Mike, given how much it's changed in the last 20? I'm of the opinion it's going to, it's going to merge with IT over time. It's sort of in the way, you know, accountants have merged with finance over the last the last 10 years or so, and they're starting to over, overlap a lot more with backgroup. I think there's going to be a lot more overlap with IT and particularly within the mid-market, the, the area that we sell into. Um, that's going to be out of necessity. You know, a, lot, a lot of companies are like, are like Flowcast. We don't have a ton of IT resources to dedicate to every application, um, to administering applications, to getting them set up. And so the way I view things playing out is uh, accounting systems, they sit at the, the heart of a lot of what a business does. And accountants are going to be able to be the ones who are implementing these systems um, and administering them on the back end as well and structuring everything such that it makes sense within accounting. Um, and we're starting to see that shift. You know, you look up, if you pick your head up, you see a lot of um, accountants who have turned into ERP consultants or perhaps, you know, NetSuite system administrators at this point. So I think those people are, are pretty early on the trend because that's uh, the future of accounting is going to require um, a, a deep understanding of accounting still. So gap knowledge and debits, credits, all that good stuff, uh, but also an understanding of, of systems and integration points and how to make everything work well for your department. So it's more of a merging with IT skills is, is my view on the future here. Right. So if you're an enterprise sales, don't wine and dine. CEO, don't wine and dine the uh, chief technology officer. Go start wine and dining the accountants because they're ultimately making the call on the technology that's adopted at a company. That's the really interesting uh, debate that's being had right now is there there are some companies out there like a ServiceNow, for example. ServiceNow sells uh, ticketing and workflow software to the uh, CIO, the office of the CIO, and it's very upmarket, you know, Fortune 500 companies. And they're of the opinion that the CIO should tell everyone what software they're going to be using. <laughs> but then when you talk to the CFO, they are not of that opinion. They want to be able to pick their own applications and approve budget and all that good stuff. So that's going to be a, that's going to be a battle occurring over the next, uh, over the coming years here. I'm really curious to see how it's going to play out. But my, my guess is the CFO is probably going to win in that situation. And yeah, they'll, they'll be making the decisions around their own systems at the very least. Power to the people, man. Like, I don't want a CIO telling me what apps to use. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's, and it's like, because I'm not going to go tell marketing what app to use. You get, you guys choose, choose whatever apps you want, but you know, yeah. I'm, I'm going to do the analysis of Intact versus NetSuite versus Oracle versus SAP. And I want to make the decision for what's best for me because I'm going to actually be working in it. Okay. Last question, Mike, before we let you go, you know, a couple months ago, we were all talking about the talent crunch and how there aren't enough accountants to go around. And now we're looking at, you know, 20% unemployment or something like that. Uh, now I know that is a national figure and may not uh, represent accounting, but we have seen layoffs. We have seen some firms do, uh, you know, five to 10% layoffs or maybe more, you know, what, what do you, what do you think is going to go on with the talent crunch now? Like, is this going to trigger something where we do more with fewer people or are things going to go back to normal? Is this a blip? Like, like how does, how does coronavirus and this whole remote work thing impact that? in your mind? Well, what we have seen early on is um, accountant, accounting and finance jobs seem to be m much less impacted by layoffs than other positions. Um, 
in in the conversations I've had with my board members, you know, with with what a lot of the different companies are doing out there, um, it's it's unfortunately mostly layoffs needing to occur on the the go to market side or customer support. You know, the idea is if there's not as much business out there and you're not going to have as many customers, you just you just don't need as many resources in those groups. Um, we are fortunate enough that accounting has not been hit hard, and that's because they're already r- running lean. There was already a talent crunch. Um, and so we are seeing with our client, with our clients, at least there's not a massive, there's not a drop off in number of users. We're not getting calls from our customers saying, Hey, we just had to let go of 10 people. Can you reduce my, my user count or anything like that? Um, so I think the, the good news is, yeah, accounts have been less impacted than, than others by this whole, by this whole mess. Um, so the talent crunch is actually still going to exist in our field, I think. And but what's going to happen is, yeah, people are going to look at, okay, how do, how do I scale my, my company without having to add more people to my accounting department? And the early signs are we're seeing a lot, a lot of people are turning to technology to try to figure out how to make that work. Um, so I think this, I think 2020 and, and 2021 is a, a really big year for all of our collective spaces and the, the kind of cloud accounting and, and finance area. Um, so it's a, it's a bummer of a time, but I do think it's a, it's a, a year where people are going to really, really understand the value of applications like, uh, like Flowcast and like, like Giraffe as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, it could, could be, could be good. So it's, a, it's a terrible situation overall, but I do think for accountants, the talent crunch is going to exist and it's about finding efficiencies and just further supports the need to really hone, like really brush up on IT skills, learn all these different systems so that you're going to be. Um, really valuable and really relevant in the space going forward. And if you're an accounting or finance professional or an aspiring accounting and finance professional, and you want to learn how to do that, check out Michael Whitmire's book on Amazon, Controller's Code, The Secret Formula to a Successful Career in Finance. You can pre-order the Kindle edition that will be auto-delivered to your Kindle on April 28th. So uh, very soon in four days here. I'm hoping it's something that uh, is really helpful for accountants. I think it's a super important topic to people in our field. You know, we're very motivated and career driven and want to move up. Uh, So I'm hoping this can help some people out there. And the link will be in the show notes. So if you're looking for that book, uh, you can either go to Amazon and just search for Controller's Code, search for Michael Whitmire, or hit the link in the show notes and it'll take you right there. So you can uh, pre-order with one click. And Mike, if people want to get in touch with you, follow you online or learn more about Flowcast, what's the best place for them to do that? You know, if you want to learn about Flowcast, definitely check out the website. Um, If you want to connect with me, feel free to shoot me an email. I'm just Mike at Flowcast.com. I like posting some obnoxious LinkedIn content. So feel free to follow me on LinkedIn. Yeah. And all that, all that good stuff, but happy to chat with anyone who uh, is interested in this stuff. And that is Flowcast spelled F-L-O-Q-A-S-T. No you. Yes. F-L-O-Q-A-S-T. No, no you and that weird Q in the middle. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and if you want to follow me online, I'm at Blake T. Oliver on Twitter. And how about you, David? I'm at David Leary on Twitter. And definitely follow David and follow the Cloud Accounting Podcast on Twitter because we're tracking all this PPP stuff, the second round and the loan forgiveness. And I realize as I say this, though, that a lot of folks are going to be reading or listening to this uh, after all of that is probably already over because things are moving so quickly. But uh, follow us on Twitter anyway, and uh, we'll keep you up to date with all the latest cloud accounting uh, news. I think even if you listen to this a decade from now, PPP will still be in the news. It, yeah, it's fascinating. This is going to be... Who knows how long these hearings will be going on. No, you, you guys will be talking about this for many podcasts to come. 
Mike, thanks for your time today. Great chatting with you and uh, have a great weekend. Yeah. Thank you, Blake. Thank you, David. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks. Thanks.